Salve, my fellow cinema-goers, and welcome to a special Short Rounds edition of War Starts at Midnight. I'm Hunter Cates. And I'm Chris Gallagher. On today's show, we're reviewing one of my personal war crimes, Federico Fellini's 1960 Palme d'Or winner, La Dolce Vita. And that's all. Or perhaps I should say, Fine. Marcello, where are you? Where did he go for that milk? My goodness! La Dolce Vita is a feature film by Federico Fellini. Fans frequently fall for its fluttering form. That is to say, pundits who praise the picture periodically point out its passive plot, packed with parties, prostitutes, and the paparazzi. Hunter, you selected this film for my war crimes list as the one you thought I should pay penance for first. Why was this war crime the one most worthy of watching? Well, actually, Chris, to pick up the preponderance of peas, the picture I actually probably would have picked was Predator, because its absence, that just, I, I don't know, that's one of those, I don't know how it happens. <laughs> however, the, however, the reason I picked La Dolce Vita is it seemed like a Chris movie. It surprised me because I know that you are more of a Euro cinema guy, particularly mm-hmm. old school European cinema than I. So its absence on your uh, viewing list surprised me the most. So I wanted you to kind of fill in that box okay. beforehand. And, yeah, and I mean, I think when you think Fellini, this is probably, it's this and eight and a half are the films that you typically think of because they were, I mean, they were pretty big international successes for him. Right, and and as far as European uh, directors go, I'd say Fellini is probably right up there with Truffaut as, as being the quintessential. If you're a cineast, you need to yeah. watch one of his movies. And so I figured La Dolce Vita is his masterpiece, or at least one of his masterpieces. So again, I was just surprised you hadn't seen it and wanted you to not so much pay penance as fix your broken and damaged soul, okay. <laughs> which is probably as good an entrance into this picture as I can come up with. Okay. So you just dropped the, the M word masterpiece. I know that you're not as much of a, you know, European cinema guy and not so much a Fellini guy either. So I'm curious, do you, do you think La Dolce Vita at its, you know, th- nearly three hour runtime, do you think it is a masterpiece? Well, it's one of those things being the passive person that I am, who is just willing to accept whatever's told to me. I will say it's a masterpiece piece, even though it's not something that I necessarily get a whole lot out of. I will acknowledge its import. Mm-hmm. Haha, <laughs> import. Mm-hmm. I will acknowledge its importance, even if it doesn't necessarily do a whole lot for me. And same thing about eight and a half. And you mentioned the three and a half hour running time. I believe eight and a half is comparable to that. I, I think it's a little short. I want to say it's more, it's closer to like two and a half hours. But still. it's Yeah, it's hefty. One way or the other, you'll be on it on the couch for a while watching eight and a half. Yeah. My feeling of La Dolce Vita and eight and a half is they're both kind of too long. They are too long in my humble opinion. Um, but you know, it's, it's, I, I see what it did for cinema and I'd say this about Fellini in general. I see what he was doing. I appreciate what he did and his kind of his approach, but the movies themselves don't usually hold my attention for the entire time. I usually go off and, you know, swig a light line and kugel. 
while uh, watching. So did you did you revisit this for for this review? I've or seen you... I've seen it semi recently. I okay. think or maybe it was eight and a half. I'm not sure. And 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 so maybe <laughs> wow. that and so maybe that's the thing is wow. That's Hunter. yeah exactly. That's that's me in uh, Italian cinema this, for you. This is going to be an interesting conversation. But then. but for uh, well, I think I remember the big moments. So yeah, okay. I did. I wouldn't have to re see well, it. It is the form of this movie is sort of like because it's it, it reminded me a lot of. Uh, like a Linklater film, like uh, like Slacker or something like that, in that it just sort of, it goes from one little set piece to another and they they exist as, you know, they, they work together, you know, when you think back on them, but they exist as their own little story pieces. It's not like, it's not like they're pushing, they're each pushing a, a plot point along or, or that sort of thing. I mean, I think you could really, at least uh, with some of them, I think maybe the bookends, they work well as, the bookends, but some of those in the middle, you could rearrange a bit and it wouldn't, I don't think it would change much. Um, but with, uh, so eight, eight and a half, you, you mentioned is, um, that's a movie that I, I think I probably revisit every, I don't know, two to three years, just in like, a, I I have, it, it's one of those movies that when I think about it, I'm like, well, I don't really remember exactly how the movie went, but I, I remember, I remember moments from it. I would say, you know, um, I, I remember him, you know, in the tunnel, in the car. I remember, um, when he's the kite with the string on his leg, obviously the big piece at the end, uh, where they're all, you know, at the, the, the rocket launch site. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the Dolce Vita is a lot the same as it's got those big moments that. Yeah. Even- and, and I mean, I think it's even more structured like that, but when I revisit eight and a half, I, I find that I find something different in it each time I find, um, my, my appreciation grows a bit and I, I understand the, um, why it's such a big deal with so many, particularly with so many filmmakers, you know, because it's, it is, it's a medicine film about a filmmaker attempting to make a film and all these crazy, you know, it's, uh, there's, there's a lot of metaphor about, you know, this is, uh, this is what it's like, you know, presenting these, these insane scenarios. And, uh, this, this is what it feels like to try to make a film. And so I, I am interested to, see La Dolce Vita again and see what I get out of it that I didn't get out of it this time. I would say I'm not in a place where I'm willing to personally say like, I think this is a masterpiece. I understand why people love it. Um, it's actually, as it's sat with me more, I've found that I actually have enjoyed it. Like, or, or looking back on it, there are, I have a fondness for, for it that, uh, you know, sitting through it just because, you know, it's, of that structure to it, the kind of episodic structure. Um, there were things that I wasn't really catching on to that looking back in, um, little, little pieces of, I mean, just the way that, that it plays out in that it basically, they start, you know, they'll start in the late evening for the most part, these little vignettes and then, uh, go through the night and then in, in the early morning, you know, little, little things like that. I, I don't know. I've, I've had a lot to ponder about since watching it, but while watching it wasn't really a, like, you know, I wasn't really aware of it, I guess I would say. Well, you use the phrase moments in reference to eight and a half. And again, this applies very much to little Dolce Vita. So I'm going to ask you more an overarching question. Can a movie that has very cinematic moments, great cinematic moments, but maybe the movie surrounding that moment, those moments isn't 
necessarily enthralling, but those moments are so great. Can that movie be qualified as a masterpiece in your opinion? I, I think so. I mean, I think if that's, uh, if that's your thing, if that's really what, I mean, um, I, I don't know why I keep going back to Linklater, but it just, it feels like, you know, Linklater is a guy that particularly his earlier stuff, you know, it's just very talky and it's very, you know, like we'll move from this thing to the next. And it's not like there's, there's not a lot of plot. It's story. If that makes sense. Uh, I mean, do you know Martin Scorsese's whole sort of idea on the difference between plot and story? Uh, I think I've heard it, but why don't you go ahead and remind our okay. listeners and, here. and there's uh, I'll, I'll link in the show notes to a video of him kind of explaining it. But essentially, it's, you know, plot is uh, plot is the exposition, more or less. It's it's the bones of the story arc, whereas story is the character development and the uh, the things that you get out of, you know, spending time with the characters and, and uh, that sort of thing, a little more, a little less tangible, but a little more emotionally engaging. Well, and to that point, there's only something like 32 plots, but there's an infinite amount of stories because this story is what distinguishes one plot from the next. Yeah. And, and so I think this is you, to put it in that context, I think this is a very story heavy um, sort of, because you're, you're meeting so many characters and, and some characters that come in and out like paparazzo, um, his, friend the the photographer um the i can't think of the character's name off the top of my head um the the friend of his who kind of he has basically three segments um they they meet uh while he's playing the organ and then he goes to the the house party and then um there's the the moment um when he's called in the middle of the night and uh goes and you find out that he's you know the tragedy of with him and his children and so uh, you know, that alone could have been its own. I think that alone could have been its own plot as far as like a single movie, but uh, he's kind of rapid fire, just throwing a lot at, at the wall. And I, you know, I don't think everything works. Um, but I don't know, as the, you know, as, as we're talking about it here, I maybe tipping the scale a little more towards like, I, I, I can understand the masterpiece um, being, being thrown at it. I mean, at, at its core, I'll say this, I think, uh, what La Dolce Vita does well is, um, you know, the, the form is intriguing and interesting. It's, it's very playful. It's still, you know, it's, it's a satire of sorts. I would say, you know, it's, it's got, you know, some teeth to it. it very interesting that, uh, this Marcello character played by, uh, Marcello Mastriani, um, is, I mean, basically he's a gossip columnist. And his entire job, along with people like Paparazzo, who is the uh, where the name Paparazzi, the word Paparazzi actually comes from, which I'm sure everyone knows, but, you know, throw it out there. Um, you know, their their entire job is to jump into uh, invade people's lives and, and try to um, get something, some little tidbit out of it. But really, like throughout this film, a lot of it is about. Uh, Marcello trying to keep people at bay, trying to keep his privacy. And so I think that's really, um, that that's fun and interesting. I mean, I think the love story or the, uh, his live in girlfriend, um, that, that Marcello has the way that dynamic there. I mean, she's, she's really the only character who is dedicated to him, who like wants to, um, wants to care for him, wants to have a relationship with him. I mean, she comes off a little bit crazy, but if you really break it down, like she's, she's trying and all the other women that he's chasing after, um, even, even the, uh, the heiress, I can't think of, uh, her name either. Um, 
Madalena or something, uh, something to that effect. I mean, there's, there's a little bit of play there, but ultimately like she's, it's, it's, it's almost like he's, he would rather infinitely chase down women than actually have the loving woman who would legitimately do anything for him. Um, because it's just, I don't know, too easy or too, um, uh, too mundane for him. Well, and I guess if you look like a Marcello Mastriani, that's the logical conclusion. Um, I agree with you going back to the story versus plot, uh, dichotomy. I am not uh, immune to pictures. In fact, I very much like pictures that don't have a plot per se. It's just story and character. However, I don't. I think they have an expiration date, and it's about the two-hour mark. And so this movie and then eight and a half go beyond that. I would say my favorite European filmmaker is Igmar Bergman, and none of his pictures go past two hours. They're usually whoa, an hour whoa, whoa, and a half. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Fanny and Alexander? With the exception of Fanny and, and actually, in Scenes from a Marriage, which was well, like a seven-hour also, also miniseries. Also series, but still the, the film version of it's like two and a but half. But those are, those are 70s. His, his, his 50s and 60s black and white stuff, most of those, and he was extremely prolific. I don't think yeah. it's possible to see all of his movies, but most of those were- Unless at, you're Woody Allen. Unless you're Woody Allen, but most of, the, most of those pictures are 90 minutes to two hours. And so if you're going to do a movie that is strictly about character and characters interacting, I think that three hours is kind of pushing it. Mm-hmm. That'd be my issue with both La Dolce Vita and Eight and a Half. I, I would say, and I, to say that, you know, taking in La Dolce Vita or Eight and a Half is, a, is not a struggle would be, you know, wrong. Like I, there is like to really get everything out of it. You, you got to put a little work in, I think, but Bergman's one that for me, like as much as I like his work, like I find it like when I'm done watching a Bergman film, I just want to like veg out in a dark room and think on it. I mean, it's partially because of the, the questions that he's raising, I'm sure, but also just the way that he handles characters. It's, um, I don't know, like a, a, a very, I mean, you, you can get a, dense 90 minute Bergman film that just like for me exhausts me for the rest of the day. And I don't, I, I didn't feel that so much with, uh, with this. Um, and let me ask you, are those the only two Fellini films you've seen? See, well, here's the thing is I'm pretty sure I've seen Armacord and then La Strada, but I don't remember them well enough to say, Oh yeah. Because I, I would say La Strada is probably my favorite of his. And La Strada is a little, it's a little different than this. I mean, uh, Fellini famously kind of went from the neorealism into this fantastical uh, sort of, I mean, I think, uh, I believe, and I haven't seen enough and don't know his, his canon enough to be sure on this, but I believe La Dolce Vita is kind of his first sort of foray into that. And then eight and a half really hits it hard. Um but uh, La Strada and Knights of Cabiria, I think you would really enjoy. Like, uh, it's which I may di- I may have enjoyed. I just can't yeah. remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, those those are a little more. You know, they're they're focused on a single character following following them around, and um, there's a lot of emotional heft, and there's there's a lot of you know interacting with other characters, and I guess uh, La Dolce Vita does the same thing. You know, we're we're following uh, Marcello around, but. Um, there's a little more story to it. Um, a little more sadness as well, I would say in, in both of those. Uh, but if you, if you haven't seen, I mean, if you haven't seen Knights of Kiberia, highly recommend it. I also really recommend that you, you see La Strada again and maybe, you know, see if that's the, maybe you've just seen the wrong end of Fellini for you. 
Um, you know, because he does get a little, he, he get starts to get a little whimsical and goofy, you know, l- later on. And well, and I like the whimsical and goofy again, the moments there's got uh-huh. great moments, uh, uh, the, the dancing in the fountain, the, cr- the Christ statue being carted by a helicopter through the city. These are great, memorable, can't forget moments. However, the, the three hours surrounding them gets to be a bit tiring it's kind of like visiting Italy, but you're spending the entire time on the train. You don't remember the train ride necessarily. You remember the the memorable things you see. Mm-hmm. And so I think had he been a little bit more disciplined in the editing room, and it's ironic that in our last episode I recommended King <laughs> Kong, and now I'm and now I'm imploring someone else to be disciplined in the editing room. But had he been that way, I think I would have enjoyed the final piece more. Maybe I mean, and, and maybe that's a matter of maybe taking out one or two of those uh, on the flip side vignettes. Well, and on the flip side, this wasn't a movie that was intended to be watched in a living room with a bazillion distractions right. all around you. It was meant to be you're sitting down in a cinema, as they yeah. call it in Italy, and you're not really going anywhere. You are sitting there watching this movie. So maybe it's just I'm not going to say the culture's changed, but just the the differing movie going environment didn't help the situation. It almost produces a lack of patience, you might say. You're you're absolutely right. I mean, I think in the living room situation there are a lot more distractions. Um, okay, so Martin Scorsese, Robert De Niro, John Ford, John Wayne, Akira Kurosawa, Toshiro Mifune. One of the great cinematic pairings is Federico Fellini and Marcello Mastroianni. Do you think they belong in that same category from the films you've seen? As the uh, others, hard to say. I mean, on, you know, to to go straight back to my pushing you to get some more Fellini in, uh, is it Julietta Messina? Is that her? His uh, former, I don't remember, former wife or former girlfriend, who is the star of La Strada and um, Knights of Cabiria. Uh, I I really like that pairing a little more. I think. I mean, I think uh, Mastriani's good. I, I like him, you know, actually the initial producer of La Dolce Vita who ended up, I think, I believe leaving the project because, um, because of the, the casting choice, uh, of Mastriani, uh, wanted Paul Newman to do this. Could you imagine Paul Newman in this role? I mean, 1960. Paul oh yeah. No, absolutely. It's, yeah. I could. It, he's a, he was, he, he's a little bit more earthy and American. He is, you know, yeah, being an American, yeah. he's more American and earthy, but yeah, I think he could probably manage I, it, not, not necessarily. It wouldn't have been as appropriate, though, as Mastriani. Yeah, that's the. I, I mean, I think his like basically Fellini wanted Mastriani, and the the producer said no. He's not manly enough. He's not. You know, he's a bit too effeminate, or something, something to that effect. And i.e., too Italian, <laughs> perhaps. Um, and it, it's weird. Like I could totally see Paul Newman in this role, but at the same time, Mastriani's kind of perfect for it. You know. Well, and I think at this time, Paul Newman was basically playing Southerners. So that may have been yeah. too much of a too jarring of an experience. Um, what I appreciate about Mastriani is he's he's just a very classical looking movie star person. But at the same time, he does fit very well into Fellini's universe. Mm-hmm. So even if I don't like him necessarily as much as those other pairings or I don't like the films as much, I do think that he is very he and Fellini are the proverbial two peas mm-hmm. in a pod. Well, and he's kind of a he's sort of the foil for the insane world going on around him. You know what I mean? Like he's he's sort of the straight man in in all of this in both eight and a half and uh, La Dolce Vita. Um, there's, there's sort of chaos and he's a little more reserved and a little more, um, you know, he, like I was saying earlier, wants a, wants a bit of a private life once, you know, he's a little more closed off. And I, I think that works well with, um, 
you know what what he's throwing at us. All right. So, do you have anything else you'd like to say about your about finally seeing this war crime picture? Uh, I I really only have one other thing, and it's just uh, I couldn't fit it in anywhere else. So I'll just say it say it here. I have uh, I don't know if we've talked about this or or not, but I if you are making a film and trying to appeal to me, play around with diegetic and non diegetic sound, and you will have me hooked very quickly. I don't know what it is, but I just I love that. Um, that play and there's well it creates a sense of urgency and freshness always almost always well and and it is it's playful like it's always uh, i mean scorsese was doing it early on in you know in mean streets and um you you get it several times here um you get i think twice in the car with the the car radio you get it once when he's on the phone at the like little cafe and the girl's playing the radio and he um i believe he asked her to turn it off because he can't uh uh he can't type and the the thing that I like about about it here is it is absolutely score. Like this music is not music that you would hear coming from a car radio or from um, from from a radio at a, at a restaurant. Like it's it's music that is made to heighten the scene as as score. But he's playing around with it as you know, injecting it into the world where you know these characters are living in a world where this is what comes from the radio. And I, I just, I like that playfulness. I think it works well to the, to the world that he built here. All right. So I think it goes without saying that even if you're not quite ready to personally call it a masterpiece, you would certainly recommend this picture. So I'm going to vary the question a little bit. Who would you recommend this to? What kind of film goer? Uh, that's, uh, that's an interesting question. I mean, I think, I think this is kind of an unwieldy movie if you are, like I, I think this is a movie that if you haven't seen anything by Fellini could turn you off to Fellini if it doesn't strike you right. You know what I mean? Like it's okay. Then is there a even even a non Fellini picture? Is there something that someone would should watch or kind of to get their head wrapped around what they're about to see before they see this? So like, what are the prerequisites? Yes, exactly. Are there any prerequisites to seeing this? I mean, I, I'm going to beat a dead horse here. I think, uh, you know, to get into Fellini, I would, I would definitely recommend La Strada Knights of Cabiria and then, and then jump into this. And then I think this is a good, like, you know, I saw eight and a half first. I think this actually is a good sort of, uh, ramp up into that. Um, so if you're, you know, if you're going to go down the Fellini trail, I would say that that sort of you, La Strada Knights of Cabiria, you could flip either way. And then, this eight and a half, I think that'll give you more of a appreciation. I mean, it's, I, if I was to be, you know, teaching a class on, on this, it would, this would definitely not go in my film history, you know, my first run, like not learn, for freshman. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not, not my, let's learn about all of, you know, what happened in film, but this would be more the, the second or third semester in where, you know, you're because, because so much of what's going on here is playing with convention, playing with, um, you know, like, like even like the diegetic, non-diegetic sound that I was mentioning, like that's, he's aware that he's making a movie and he's playing with it there. So it's, it's a little further beyond that. I guess, you know, I'm, I'm not going to recommend this to my mother and be like, Oh, great, great Italian cinema. If you haven't seen anything, you know, any Italian films, this is where you start. Okie dokie. So if you are indeed taking the Fellini trail down through La Dolce Vita, what will you be drinking on this voyage? Well, my recommendation for La Dolce Vita has a funny name, but it's a borderline masterpiece itself. It's Old Chub Nitro from Oscar Blues Brewery in Longmount, Colorado. 
This is a Scotch ale, which is a term that confuses some folks, uh, but it has nothing to do with Scotch whiskey. The style is also known as a wee heavy, and I like it a great deal. Uh, Old Chub follows the characteristics of the style. Uh, It has a nice brown color, a sweet caramel flavor, and a slightly high alcohol content level at 8%. The nitro version, which I'm recommending today, has an added creaminess, especially in the head upon first pouring it. And beyond being even better than the standard Old Chub, the nitro also comes in a 16-ounce can which will be very helpful when facing the film's nearly three-hour runtime. That's Old Chub Nitro in a tall boy from Oscar Blues Brewery. You know, Chris, it's a good thing you do these beer recommendations, because if it were me, I would have recommended the Budweiser of Italian beer Peroni. <laughs> so that's that's why I am not in charge of beer recommendations. Well, Chris <laughs> fulfilled his war crimes by watching La Dolce Vita, and if you'd like to do the same, you can do so. La Dolce Vita is currently available on Blu-ray and DVD from the Criterion Collection. So if you've seen it, tell us your thoughts at hello at warstartsatmidnight.com. Or if email isn't your thing, we'd love to hear your worst Italian accent. Ring the red phone and leave us a voicemail at 484-424-6362. That's 484-4CINEMA. Well, that's a wrap for this special short round episode of War Starts at Midnight. Check us out online at warstartsatmidnight.com where you can sign up for our brand new spanking newsletter, The Midweek Memo. It's filled with recommendations, news about upcoming episodes, and exclusive articles written just for you. So go sign up for it. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Tumblr at WSAMPod. And if you enjoy the show, help us reach new listeners by reviewing it in iTunes. Music on this week's show comes from Sam Means. Find more of his music at music.means.am. Tune in next time when we'll be discussing the new film by Judd Apto, Trainwreck, starring Amy Schumer and Tulsa's own Bill Hader. Thanks for listening. Riva Dirce, Holmes. I think it's a little short i want to say it's more it's closer to like two and a half hours but still it's yeah it's hefty but still sure. yeah a sore a sore butt uh will will be had so i will that that's just weird thing to say that's just <laughs> a weird thing to say